It was just one of those moments in your life where you're presented with two paths to take. That's the sweet spot. It's what I like to call swag and substance. The idea got bigger and bigger and bigger the more people we kind of brought into it. I'm Jeremy Schumann. And I'm Ro Colinaros. And this is the cheat sheet for your career from the top marketing talent behind the world's biggest brands. We reveal the discoveries that kickstarted breakthroughs in their careers and share the timeless wisdom from their legendary CMO mentors to leave you with tactics you can use today to propel your career to new heights. This is the career advice you wish you had years ago. This is Marketer Momentum. Marketer Momentum. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Anisha Raghavan, former marketer at Unilever and PepsiCo, former head of brand and product marketing at Rodan and Fields, and now the recently appointed chief marketing officer, Global Brands America at Walgreen Boots Alliance. What a resume there. (laughs) Thanks, Ro. Thanks for that introduction. Just a mouthful of top global brands that marketers would all love to work at someday. And Anisha, we're so thrilled to have you today on the podcast. I know we connected through the Adweek program pretty early on, and I just hit you up. I was like, whoa, you're a badass. Tell me about your life. Take me under your wing. Mentor me. And we've had multiple calls, so I'm so stoked to dive in a little more deeper into your story today and share your journey and your wisdom with the rest of the community. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm so thrilled to be here. So thank you guys for having me. But it's it's mutual, Jeremy. Like I was like, I'm going to be working for this guy someday. So I've really enjoyed getting to know you. And Ro, I'm equally impressed with you. So it's just, it's really great to be here with you guys today. So Anisha, you are now the Chief Marketing Officer, Global Brands Americas at Walgreens Boots Alliance. What all does that entail? So what that means is I look after the brand teams for about eight beauty brands that Walgreens Boots Alliance owns that are distributed everywhere. And then I also look after e-commerce, paid media content, and the integrated communications teams for those brands. On that note, let's dive right in. You've had such a notable career from top agencies like Gray to top marketing brands like Unilever and PepsiCo. So what risks did you take to get where you are today? Well, I've taken a lot of risks in my life. And when it comes to career decisions, I think I really rely on my internal compass. I'll try to logic my way through a decision, but ultimately it's really about where do my passions lie and what's my gut telling me. And so there were risks at the start of my career. For example, I I graduated college in 2001 and the US was in recession and I lost my job before I even started it, my first job out of college. And it really was an opportunity because that job never really represented my passion. So I took that as an opportunity to pursue my passion, which was to be in advertising in New York City. And I started with networking. I went to my alumni database from my college and started looking up contacts who were in marketing, advertising, and calling them up. And I ended up keeping this massive three-ring binder of all the conversations I had because every person I talked to, I would ask them, who else do you know that I could talk to? And they'd give me names and it just snowballed from there. And it really was a boot camp on networking 101. And then I found that you know people didn't want to give me a job until they could interview me in person. So I really needed to move to New York City. And right then, 9-11 happened. And my parents were like, no way are you moving to New York City. And I was like, I'm absolutely moving to New York City. And so I just had this sort of fierce determination. And this I was in love with Madison Avenue. 
So it was a risk. It was a risk to move to a whole new city, one that had just been in the middle of this tragedy, but I was just so determined to do it. And I moved on October 1st, just two weeks after the tragedy. And by November 1st, I was working at Gray Advertising. And so it really was passion that fueled me there. And then years later, I ended up taking another big risk in my career that really paid out, which was I had been at Unilever for six years by that point, loved Unilever, but I started to itch for going smaller. And I had the opportunity to go to Strivectin, which is a private equity-backed skincare company. And they wanted me to build out the digital and social media teams from scratch. And that was super exciting to me because I had loved all things digital media at this point in my career. And I also knew that was what the future of marketing was. And so I was very interested in this job, but I was really scared to leave the Unilever name. But that time you were really coached. If you wanted to be a CMO, big CPG was the end all be all. And so taking that risk to leave the name of Unilever for a company that probably not a lot of people had heard of made me uncomfortable, but ended up being one of the best decisions I could have made because ultimately it was the genesis of me starting to build a career that spans both traditional brand marketing and digital marketing and you know these smaller sort of digitally native companies. And if you look at my career, I've gone back and forth between both. And I have found that that's really served me well and opened up a lot of opportunity. But again, it was driven by this internal compass and me just sort of paying attention to what I was really passionate about. Wow, that's really incredible. And I want to go back to your move to New York because I feel like we're in a similar moment right now where a country in crisis. And how did you prove yourself? How did you get your foot in the door there in such a tumultuous time? Yeah, I mean, it really, again, it came back to my passion was driving me and therefore I was pounding the pavement, whether it was actually going company to company and getting my foot in the door for interviews through this network that I had built or preparation for those interviews. So my interview with Gray Worldwide actually I had found this case study on the peanut butter industry. And my interview was for an assistant account manager for the GIF peanut butter account. And so I had done all this research and I came off in the interview as if I knew everything about the peanut butter industry, but actually it was just that I found this case study. But I just, I loved the advertising industry. I mean, in in college, I had interned in finance at first and it was great. I interned at Citigroup in New York City. And I was lucky to have that internship. But when I opened up a marketing textbook in college, I just, I was fascinated. I was fascinated by brands and by advertising. And so following that passion just made me work harder. And I was making $30,000 in New York City. I was completely broke, but I was just super happy working there. I love your story and how much of an aggressive networker you are. You really kick the door down. And my story is kind of similar getting my first break in New York. But I love how you did that in spite of coming off of 9-11, just a wild moment for our country. Yeah, let me say, you no, know, I was not naturally a networker. I was pretty bad at it first, but practice makes perfect. I feel like you're incredible at it. Hitting at how you found that opportunity in the midst of 9-11, I feel like there may be a lot of listeners right now that skew younger that are looking for their first big break right now and coming off the wave of the pandemic, trying to find their role. Is there any advice to people who are job hunting today? Any advice you would give them that helped you find where you needed to go or kept you going those moments when you were trying to, to find what was right for you? Yeah, I think there's a few things. One is 
being authentic to yourself and what you're passionate about. Because if you have a true passion for something, that's going to come through when you have a conversation with someone. And I have people who are coming to me, asking to network with me, who are clearly passionate about the marketing industry and have done their homework. And I have other people who it's very clear that they're looking at 10 different industries and they just want a job. And so anyone who's busy is going to want to spend their time helping a person who truly has that passion and is focused. So I guess my first piece of advice is just listen to yourself and what's really driving you and go after those opportunities. And then I think it's just remembering that people do really want to help. And I think there are a lot of ways to get that help now. I've seen people posting on LinkedIn saying, I've been looking for a job for the last eight months and with no success. And it's thousands of comments on there of people wanting to help. So that sort of vulnerability, I think is really important to have. And when you do actually come into contact with someone who's willing to help, there are people that approach me that are just like, hey, I just want to get some of your advice. And I want to listen to what's important or how I could shape my story a little bit. And those are the people that I really want to help versus someone who comes in and they're not really sure what they want to ask. They're not focused with their time. And so if you're really authentic to yourself, if you're willing to be vulnerable, and if you just have the guts to get out there and ask people for help, I think there are a lot of people willing to help. And I know it's a really tough time and there are a lot of job seekers out there, but I just posted on my LinkedIn, I've got six roles open within my team. And that post has gone to many people I don't even know who are now writing to me with their resumes. And I love that. I'm taking the time to write back to each one of them because I'm just inspired by people putting themselves out there. And beyond those people putting themselves out there and being focused and having that passion, what else do you look for in talent? So I think the top two things I look for are positivity and adaptability. When it comes to positivity, there's always going to be bad days in your job. And there's always going to be parts of your job you don't like. But if you can remember the good in your job, and if you can propose solutions for the bad, you're not only going to be more productive in what you do, because you're going to have this feeling of liking what you do, but you're also going to spread positivity across the team. Because I think attitude is contagious. And so that really, to me, is a key ingredient for a winning team. And then the second thing, adaptability. We're in an industry that is changing every single day. And for the last 10 years, it's changed at a pace nobody could have imagined because of the rise of technology and digital marketing. And this past year, because of COVID, it's changed faster in one year than anybody could have imagined. And so the world of marketing and how you go about connecting with a consumer is just so dynamic and ever-changing. And as a result of that, competition has gotten much more intense and companies are just in this constant state of pivot and reinvention. And so it really takes someone who's adaptable, who's willing to embrace change, or at the very least be able to ask the right questions so that they can understand why change is happening. So asking your boss, hey, what's the big picture behind this switch in decision is just, it's something that I really admire in people on my team. Yeah, getting to the why is very important. That's interesting. It's a good way to look at it. So going a little deeper into your journey, Anisha, were there any learnings or breakthrough moments that changed the way you navigate your career today? So there is this meme that I love, and it's of a tiny little kitten looking at its reflection in a puddle of water. And what it sees back is this giant full-grown tiger. And I love that because it's all about believing in yourself and seeing that you can be bigger than you are today. But I think 
when you're early in your career, believing in yourself starts with other people believing in you. And I was just really fortunate that I had that in abundance early in my career, starting with my incredible parents. My parents encouraged any shred of talent that I showed growing up as a kid. So we would play Monopoly as a family all the time. And I always won. And they'd always be like, you should go into finance. You're great with money. Or when I was 10 years old, I declared that I wanted to be a journalist. I excelled at writing in school and in English classes. And they, they were like, you should write to Diane Sawyer. You know, They just encouraged me with anything that I was interested in. And it really made me believe I could do anything I wanted. And then getting into my career, that first job out of college in advertising at Gray Worldwide, I had a boss who promoted me within nine months. I wasn't even thinking about promotion. I wasn't expecting it at all. But to have someone recognize me at that very early stage of my career was just so pivotal for me. It built my confidence and I felt so fortunate to have a boss that believed in me. And then you fast forward a few years, I'm in business school and I'm getting cold called every single day in class on topics that I know nothing about. You're forced to sort of speak every day in front of a whole group of people. And that really built my confidence to articulate myself in intimidating situations. So when I got out of business school and I was in boardrooms all of a sudden with people more senior than me, I didn't edit myself in my head as much. I just sort of spoke my mind. And so these moments of people believe in me, believing in me or me building my confidence were really breakthrough in terms of those first 10 years of my career. And so it wasn't any one moment. It was the collection of these tiny moments, I think, that helped me get to where I am today. Well, I hear that story and it makes me want to find more people I can be that person for as well. Because I think we're all very hard on ourselves in this industry. There's a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome of like, wait, do I belong steering the, the advertising or marketing for this brand? I think everybody, as you move up, when you have somebody who believes in you or goes to bat for you, that gives you half the confidence you need to succeed. And so I think, yeah, unpacking that, it's incredible hearing how that was part of your story, but I think it's inspiring to everybody mid-level and senior level to be like, find your people and sponsor them. And then if you're younger, find your sponsor, find those people that will go to bat for you or believe in you in those moments. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things I love about the Adweek Executive Mentor Program is people signed up for that program to have an executive mentor, but naturally became mentors to younger mentees. And it just, it's such a pay it forward kind of group. And I love it. I remember me and you were both interviewing and we were calling each other like, how'd it go? And we're just sharing war stories and venting and excitement, everything like that. So you were that to me. So I have to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and who was your mentor in the program? My mentor was Taj Alavi. She is spectacular. I mean, she's so genuine and so smart and just full of positivity. And so I really clicked with her. What was your biggest takeaway from your time with her? Taj had myself and her other mentee do this exercise of creating a vision board. So we, all three of us, created a vision board for what we wanted out of life. And then we got together on the phone and walked through them together. And it was such a great exercise for me personally, because number one, I always have more I want to do than hours in the day. And just kind of putting stuff down to paper helped me prioritize. It was a great centering exercise. Number two, when you're actually putting pictures down on paper that represent what you want in life, it makes you dream bigger, naturally. You just think bigger. And then number three, it was three really strong women getting together with a cocktail in hand to walk each other through our boards. And 
we talked about everything from career advancement to children to wanting a shelf full of designer bags. So it was just such a fun time bonding as a threesome. And I got a lot out of it, both for my career and just personally. I love that she did it with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. She did one of her own. Yeah. And was this recent move, this career move on your vision board? How did that figure in there? Well, it's funny. I actually wasn't looking for a CMO position. I was looking to make a move into consumer tech. So again, going back to my strong interest in digital, the fact that I live in San Francisco in the heart of Silicon Valley, and I'm someone who always kind of follows my passion, I was like, oh, I actually really want to take my marketing skills into either a late stage consumer tech type of brand or the tech industry, because I thought I could learn a lot there. So that's what I was focused on. And then I got pinged by several executive recruiters for CMO roles, and I hadn't even been thinking about CMO roles. There's all this research that women will look at a job description and not apply for the job unless they meet every qualification within that job description, whereas men will just go for it. And I think when I started getting emailed by executive recruiters for CMO jobs, it it sort of reframed it in my mind. And I started thinking, I need to think bigger and I'm ready for a CMO role. So while I wasn't initially looking for a CMO role, it sort of pivoted my plans and I ended up just going for it. So as you're now entering this, this next stage of your career in the CMO role, as you're now leading an entire org, what are the key learnings from your career thus far that you're bringing into this CMO position? So I kind of view the CMO role more as an orchestra conductor than a marketer. And that's because you are judged just as much on your leadership skills as you are on your marketing skills, or at least you should be. Because if you think about what you really need to do in that role, it's inspiring and guiding and mobilizing an organization of people to action, which is really getting the sum to be greater than its parts. And that's really what an orchestra conductor does. And so for me personally, there's two key things in being able to do that well. One is really having self-awareness and being able to look at myself and say, what do I need to do next to be the best leader I can be? And then the year after that, what do I need to do next? Because it's, it's lifelong learning. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about how to flex my style to personalities different than my own, because I'm naturally a driver type. I'm a huge bias for action type. And earlier in my career, I got feedback that I could bulldoze sometimes. And so I think feedback is a gift. And I really looked at that and said, Okay, for someone who is more of a thinker type or more of a collaborator before they become a doer, how do I flex my style to get the most out of them and to allow them to be their best? So just always looking at myself to see how can I be a better leader? And then I think the second thing is really knowing what kind of culture allows me to thrive because you can change yourself and you can fix your own leadership flaws, but you can't necessarily change your environment. And so for me, I really look for an environment where I'm reporting to people that are open and transparent, where people care about each other's success as much as their own, and where I'm given the leeway to do what I need to do to make my team as high-performing and happy as possible. And so I really look at culture when I'm looking at a role now and look at my leadership and whether I really believe I'll be able to thrive there as a leader. 
Yeah. And I think especially since we're working from home, culture is even bigger because we're not seeing each other. We don't have those coffee breaks and those moments of connection. So it's even more important when you're weighing an opportunity. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Going deeper into that, how are you building a culture with your team right now, especially because so much of it is remote? So there's a lot of different things. I mean, number one is I'm over-investing in one-on-ones. I started with my immediate leadership team and I'm slowly working my way through. I have about a 50-person team, so all of the people within my team and getting to know them personally. So in my first couple of days, I had a big team meeting and I asked every person to send me an email, what I called a getting-to-know-you email where I ask questions like, what kind of culture makes you do your best? What kind of leader makes you do your best? What did you do before? What do you want me to know about you personally? You know, And they all sent me this email. I read all of those. And then now, as I'm doing the one-on-ones, we can go a little bit deeper than the basics. So that's one. And then two is just doing a lot of the culture building that you would normally do, but figuring out how to do it virtually. So my team is doing a secret Santa for the holidays, you know, and We are doing that virtually. We're doing monthly team fun sessions, whether that's wine tastings or something else, but there's virtual ways to kind of create those moments. And just some of that togetherness, even though it's on Zoom, that moment to take a break from work and have some fun together is just so critical. And especially when you are super busy with work, which we all are, and with COVID, business results have been impacted by that. So the work is even heavier for a lot of companies. It's just really important, I think, to take a moment to stop and just have fun together. Yeah, fun. And then I think meaningful work helps too. Yeah, definitely. Making sure everybody knows what their role is. They have clarity on role definition, but also what that ladders up to, why it's important to the bigger picture. And so I think cascading from the top all the way to the bottom levels of the organization is really important. So speaking of meaningful work, what work are you most proud of from your career? So I'm really proud of work where my work aligned with my values and it was purpose-driven work. When I was at Unilever, I launched the Simple Skincare brand and we were the first brand to sponsor the makers, the Women Who Made America effort. So That project was started by a woman named Dylan McGee, who is a PBS producer, or was at the time. And she had this vision to tell the stories of the women who made America. So people like Gloria Steinem, who everybody knows, but also Billie Jean King, who made a huge impact on women's tennis. She was the subject of the movie Battle of the Sexes. Or Catherine Switzer, who was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon, who literally had to sign up as a man in order to run that marathon. And so Dylan McGee was telling these stories through a documentary style series. And my brand was the first partner for them. So I was just so proud that we were able to fund and enable that work because me personally, I have dealt with gender stereotypes trying to hold me back. And so I'm just super personally passionate about breaking down those gender stereotypes. And I was so inspired by this work and the stories that were being told of these women that broke down gender stereotypes. And it's some of the work that I'm most proud of. So I want to continue to do that work. And I look forward to a day where it's common speak for what people to say behind every great woman, there's a great man. I have so much career envy for you right now. (laughs) The Makers Conference is the last place I went before the pandemic. Oh, no way. It was my last trip. 
oh gosh, it's such a great, great yeah. conference. So inspiring. And I think having that to carry me through the pandemic was a nice note to go out on. So thank you for being one of the people who got that off the ground and started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I feel lucky to have been even a small part of it. I love hearing your passion come through for your work because you can definitely hear that. And I, I love that you referenced that little meme of like a kitten looking through the mirror and seeing a tiger. And I feel like that's totally, you have, it's this fierce passion for this industry and for people. And that's something that I've noticed from the times I've started to get to know you, but even on this call, like hearing the passion behind that work. And I think that's what we're all looking for is to find that meaningful work that fuels us to move forward. So thanks for, for building that and sharing that with us. Yeah, that's why I really encourage people, especially if you're starting out, to listen to yourself on what is driving your passion. Like I said, I started out a finance major and I was choosing ultimately a job that paid 30000 when my peers in finance were making 60000 And I was sitting there at 11 p.m. at night in the office, still working, but on the phone with my iBanking friends who were also still working. But I loved what I was doing and they hated what they were doing, you know, so... I've just sort of always listened to that internal compass. And for all of us out there, you gave us a lot of great advice, but if there's one thing that we could do tomorrow to kickstart our career or make a big move or reignite that passion and that internal compass, what would it be? Oh gosh. Well, I would start with a Taj Alavi style vision board. (laughs) So sometimes if you're not quite sure what your passion is, just look through a magazine or look online and grab images of what inspires you and then put it to paper and see what the themes are. So I'd say that's one. And there are moments in my career where I stop and I talk to the people closest to me if I'm struggling with something and I say, what do you see in this? Because sometimes the people closest to you can sort of break you out of a mold. I like that because it goes back to what you were saying before that these recruiters saw that you could be a CMO, but you didn't see that you could be a CMO. So getting that outside perspective to see the reflection you don't see, to see that tiger. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you need other people to remind you of what you have inside yourself already. Well, I think that that nailed it right there. A personal challenge I'm going to take from all that is one, find those people. I've been lucky that I had a mentor who helped me make a vision board years ago, and I've checked off most of the things on that list. So it's time to make a new one. I got to take a a note from you and and Taj now. But the other one is also find those people that need somebody right now. I think we could all use somebody to believe in us right now because it's just a wild time. So that's what I'm taking to heart. Thank you for sharing those challenges with us because I'm going to go try and do it myself. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Anisha, thank you so much for your time today, unpacking your journey from working on iconic marketing campaigns like sponsoring Maker Series, all the way to becoming a CMO. Learning from your journey has been so beneficial for me, and I'm sure will be for so many of our listeners as well. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun talking to you guys, and I draw my inspiration not just from people more senior than me, but people more junior than me as well. And so I think inspiration can come from anywhere. And I've enjoyed listening to your podcast. So thanks for starting it. Thank you. Marketer Momentum was produced in partnership with Julian Lewis and TJ Bonaventura from StudioPod. Thanks for tuning in. We know you're making good on those creative dares. So share with your friends and tweet at Adweek with hashtag Marketer Momentum. And if you have nice things to say about us. Only nice things though. 
Write us a review on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, special thanks to Adweek.